All right, the page you want to be on is 775 in a pew Bible. We're going to look at uh, Jonah chapter 4, page 775 in the pew Bible. And we're now bringing this thing home. We've come to the fourth chapter of four chapters. And a lot of things come into focus now. A lot of things start to make sense from the first three uh, chapters. But what doesn't right away make sense is the very first verse, because chapter 3 ends with a a wildly successful preaching campaign in Nineveh. 120,000 people are all repenting and returning to the Lord, or coming to the Lord. And then chapter 4, verse 1 says, but it displeased, displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And right away, that doesn't line up. So we're, we're, kinda, we're, we're recognizing that the emotional response of Jonah not only is the wrong response, but it's exceedingly wrong. That word exceedingly is in this, uh, this chapter twice. He's exceedingly, exceedingly angry, and then later he's exceedingly glad about a little plant that grows. His emotional level doesn't seem to line up with whatever is causing that, uh, the, the stimulus for that. And, and so that right there tells me that something is off balance. Something is more than typical frustration. And I think most of us know this experience where something comes into our life and our response is so much bigger than what would fit the situation. I was thinking about a number of these in my own life and and remembered something that happened when I was about 10 years old. Um, Growing up in western Pennsylvania in the winter, it's pretty bleak, gray skies, it's cold. Um, Snow might come, it might not. If it does come, it might rain and then disappear into nasty. But sometimes it would snow and stay for a couple of weeks. And those were the best for kids because then you could build stuff like snowmen and, um, and ramps for your sleds and Western Pennsylvania is hilly, so one particular Christmas break, there was a big dump of snow, and um, we had made a, a ramp. You go, slide down the hill and jump off the jump. And we were using um, car inner, or truck inner tubes, so black inner tubes with a valve that sticks up, no handles, and a hole through the middle. And you almost always fell off when you jumped. It was very hard to keep that thing under control. Um, so I had this Christmas gift request. I wanted one of the thunder tubes, this new thing. You know, I'd been seeing the commercials on TV. It had handles, and the middle of the hole was filled in, so you wouldn't fall off. And Christmas came, snow came, the ramp was set up. I got the, the inner tube. I was so excited. I went down the street to my friend Jeff's house, and, and before I even got one run on it, Jeff took it from me, went down, jumped, and it popped right there. Now, that would be upsetting to anyone, a 10-year-old, but the reaction I had was so big. It was anger and sadness and tears and fury, and I stormed up to my house, and I busted through the door, and you'd have thought somebody had killed me, right? It was, it was so unlike me, because, you know, if you know me, I'm fairly emotionally even keel. I don't celebrate really well, and I don't crash really hard either when things don't go well. I tend to be like this. So when I broke through the door with tears and fury and the whole thing, my parents were taken back by that. My dad was ready to literally go to the store that day and buy me another one of these thunder tubes because it just obviously meant so much to me. But the reality is um, there was something bigger going on. I had made an idol out of this inner tube, like the inner tube could solve all of the world's problems, and I had it, right? It was going to be the best thing ever, which of course it couldn't possibly have been. But the reaction was a warning. The reaction showed me something about my heart. And I think all of us know that experience where somebody says something or something happens and it's down here and your reaction is up here. It's like, it's missing. And that's what's going on in this text. 
Jonah is having the wrong reaction for the situation. Even if he was frustrated that he had to go to Nineveh, he could be frustrated, but he was like exceedingly angry. Like it doesn't line up. And what I want to suggest this morning from this text is that God arranges, God actually doesn't, he doesn't just allow these things to happen. He actually arranges the situation, the circumstances in our life so that we will make him number one. So that whatever that idol is in our life will get worked out and he can be our God. He will arrange our circumstances to, and and this doesn't make us comfortable. It's very uncomfortable. In fact, he will work on us to help us become him become number one in our hearts. We're going to see that here in this text. Now I want to look at this under three headings. Um, You've heard of the good, the bad, and the ugly. I want to start with the bad, the good, and then God. I'm going to go the bad, the good, and then God. So let's take a look at Jonah here and let's start with the bad. Verse 1 and verse 6, there's the word exceedingly. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And I don't know if your eyes are good enough to see this, but there's a footnote that says the Hebrew is actually literally, it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. He's calling what God did in Nineveh evil. He's that mad. This is evil. This isn't just something I'm upset about. This is an evil thing. It's exceedingly evil. Now, he gets angry. Do you know the acronym HALT? very helpful. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Halt. Halt is a really good tool because it means stop, but hungry, angry, lonely, tired. When you have one or more of those going on in your life, you are way more likely to sin. You are way more susceptible to fall, whatever your temptation is. Add in hunger, loneliness, tiredness, or anger, and then the temptation comes in and you are way easier to fall. I would even add a fifth one, S, which is stress. Halts. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired, stress. Watch out for those things. We're just so much more susceptible to fall. And in verse 2, the truth finally comes out because of this anger. We actually see what the issue is. In verse 2, he says, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Full confession here. You told me to go to Nineveh. I got on a boat. This is why. I knew you would be merciful to those Ninevites, and I didn't want it, and I'm exceedingly angry. I'm really angry about this. And he just opens up honesty. Now it makes sense what he did in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Now we understand, looking backwards. In verse um, 3 and verse 8, he says it's better to die. He's not just angry. He's angry enough to die. And God says, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I'm angry enough to die. Now, Jim, Jim did a nice reading of it, but I think that's, how, that's actually how uh, Jonah's response was. And we don't, unfortunately, we don't have Hebrew emojis that would tell us um, <laughs> God's very peaceful, 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 and then angry eyes for Jonah. We don't have that in here, so we have to kind of guess a little bit. But twice he says, it's better for me to die. Now, what I think is really interesting Remember, God is arranging your circumstances to bring out whatever is rivaling him in your heart so that you can get rid of it and make him number one. So what God does is he causes a plant to grow. You see, Jonah did preach and they did all repent and God relented of it, but 40 days hadn't gone by. So he goes outside the city and he makes a little booth and he sits there and he's like, I'm just going to live outside the city for 40 days on the odd chance that God actually is still going to smite these people. I'm just going to sit out here and watch. But you know, it's, the, it's, it's rough over there. It's desert, it's hot, it's sandy, and he's not comfortable. So God arranges his circumstances by, in one night, causes a plant to grow up very fast over him to provide shade. 
and he's exceedingly happy about this plan. Now, here's an interesting thing. You know, um, again, you have, to, you have to look at the footnote here, but the Hebrew m- tells us what kind of a plant this is. It's a castor oil plant. And do you know what castor oil homeopathically is typically used for? Yeah, so he has a case of spiritual constipation. And he needs some castor oil to help him with this. So God grows up a castor oil plant because he's going to help work some things out of, of the prophet Jonah. Seriously, just look at the footnote. I'm not making this stuff up. Like, God, God does this. And, and then he causes a worm to eat the plant. And when the plant is gone, then Jonah's exceedingly mad again. I mean, he's, he's just like out of control. And that's because this thing is coming out of his heart. And the idol has now surfaced. I care about Israel, and I want you to be merciful only to my people, not our enemies. You can't do that, God. That's the idol. I'm a nationalist, I'm a racist, and I don't like Nineveh. And now that is fully obvious. The idol has surfaced, and it must go. And it's not going to come out without a fight. You know, flipping over to the um, New Testament a little bit, we see some interesting things. Um, one is when Jesus is dealing with a certain demon, in a, a, an evil spirit that's in a, a child. And it says that um, someone came from the crowd, came to Jesus and said, Teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And so they bring the boy to Jesus. And when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell to the ground and he rolled about foaming at the mouth. Now that's a, a spirit coming out of a boy who's oppressed by this spirit. And that spirit didn't want to come out didn't want to come out easily. And so even in the presence of Jesus, that kind of display happens. Well, here's Jonah dealing with an idol in his heart, and it's not coming out easily. God has come to him, and, it's, and he's, he's all over the place emotionally. He's a wreck here. And our hearts have all sorts of hooks and attachments in them. Some are stronger than others. Depending on if we feed them or not, they get bigger. They're, but it's hard. We don't like to let go of these things. But God wants to be number one in our lives. In fact, We need him to be number one in our life because nothing else could possibly satisfy us. And we need to know that he's number one in our life. So not only does he he help us get there, then he shows us where we are. So think back to Abraham and Isaac. Isaac is Abraham's son in the old covenant. And um, he'd waited a long time for this son and God gave him what he wanted. And he has Isaac and he just loved Isaac so much that God says, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. So Abraham takes Isaac up onto the top of the mountain, prepares an altar. He's actually going to slay his son and burn him as a sacrifice to God. God stops this before it happens because once Abraham got to the place where he was willing to let go of his son, now he knew that God was number one in his life. He had an opportunity to test this. And God was arranging the circumstances to make sure that he's number one in Abraham's life. He's doing the same for Jonah. He's doing the same for each one of us. That's part of his love for us. So that's the bad, is that Jonah's angry about this, and he's got an idol, and he doesn't want to let go of it. Now, here's the good. Let's look at the good in this situation. Verse 2. I don't know if you noticed this when we went through the first reading. It says in verse 2, and he prayed. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? So Jonah's really mad at God, and what's his response? He prays. The first time he flees and goes on a ship and ignores the word, but But now his anger and the idol, it's come fully up. And where can he turn but God? So he turns to God with a real prayer. This isn't some kind of form prayer that he always says before he eats or something. This is like, my heart, God, this is where I am. 
And it's very much like the Psalms. There are certain types of Psalms where the psalmist says awful things. God, would you smite my enemies and smash their children against the rocks? And there's all these things in the Psalms that you'd never want to see happen. But what you see is you see people with real frustration going to God, which is better than going and trying to get justice on your own. They're crying out for justice and they're saying, God, fix this situation. And you know what? He receives that prayer. That's why it's recorded in the Psalms. That's why this stuff is in here. He doesn't say, how dare you talk to me that way? Now, he does engage in the conversation. And this is where I think Jonah's tone was like up here. I'm so angry, angry enough to die. And God comes in and goes, do you do well to be angry? God is gentle with him. He's patient, but he's challenging him too. It's, it's a real question. This isn't working out well for you, Jonah, this anger thing. I have something better for you. So God welcomes honest prayer. I would encourage you to pray honestly with God. Tell him what your frustration is. Tell him what, your, what the thing is. Whatever it is that, that, that revealed this idol. You know, sometimes there's a number of places that ha- this happens. I think sometimes we need that sticker that's on the back of cars to be actually on the, uh, the airbag on our driving steering wheel. How is my driving? Right? Right there. I, somebody doesn't turn their turn signal on, and all of a sudden, I find that I'm really angry about something. And so, slow down. What am I angry about? What's going on here? There's something bigger than just that guy didn't turn his turn signal on. I'm, I'm, I've got something going on. God, what is Is it an idol? Is it hungry, angry, lonely, tired? What's happening, Lord? I, I want to talk to you about this thing. He prayed. He was honest and went straight to the Lord with it. Second thing that's really good is it also in, in verse 2, he has an accurate description of God. Now, he's angry about what God does, but he says, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Those words are on Jonah's mouth and on his lips, and they're accurate. This isn't the first time in the scriptures those words occur. I think the first time is Exodus 34, where God himself reveals himself to Moses and says, this is who I am. This is the kind of God I am. I'm slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so Jonah probably knew some of Moses. And so even though he's upset with God, he he does know who he's talking to, and he's got an accurate understanding of God. He sees this about God, and and he speaks it out in his prayer. Now, the third thing, I'm going to rely on the fact that we have both the New Testament in here as well as the Old Testament. Jonah says something that actually is useful. He says, it is better for me to die. And in a sense, Jesus would say, you're right. It is better for you to die. So let me jump over to something that Jesus said. He said, um, this is, I'm going to Matthew uh, chapter, uh, you don't have to go there, Matthew 10, 34. But Jesus said this, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me, see the idol? Even something as good as love for mother and father, if it's more than God, is not a good thing. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's the promise. Jonah, it is good for you to die to that idol. Put that idol to death. 
die to yourself, die to your wishes, die to your own sense of being your own God and make me your God, and then you'll actually live. You'll have the life that you want. That's the promise. So yes, it is better to die. Take up your cross and die so that you might truly live. If you insist on living on your terms, it will end in, in death. Jonah, you're in death right now. This is awful. Your experience is not good. And we know that feeling of that pursuit of something other than God never ends well with us. The rival gods must go. Now let's look at God. So we've got the bad, the good, and now let's look at God. So the series title was The Relentless Prophet, or The, the Reluctant Prophet of a Relentless God. Um, I love the song we even sang about God's never going to let us go. He just keeps going. He's relentless. He keeps going after our hearts. He keeps chasing us. He keeps routing out these idols that keep forming, and he's pursuing over and over again. And so looking at what he says about God, quoting from Exodus, God is gracious. You know what grace means? It's an undeserved gift. He gives us what we don't deserve. And that's seen so perfectly in the cross. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't deserve that. God's gracious, and so he gives us things, both big things like the cross and little things, like a plant for shade or something else. He gives us big and little things that we don't deserve because he's gracious. It's just who he is. He's merciful, which means he does not give us what we deserve. If he gave us what we deserve, it would be awful, but he's compassionate in our situation, and he doesn't do that. He's merciful. He's also slow to anger. We have a short fuse. We're quick to anger. Some more so than others, but all of us more than God. God is slow to anger, and when he does get angry, he gets angry at the right thing, to the right degree, at the right time. We get angry at the wrong things, to the wrong degree, and in the wrong timing. His is a righteous anger. Ours is not. And he's even slow to that righteous anger. So he's quicker to the grace and the mercy than he is to the anger. If God actually gets angry, it's because it's been pushed so far. He's constantly constantly merciful. He's abounding, which means it's, he's overflowing. He's overflowing. He's abounding in steadfast love. So this kind of love, this steadfast means nothing is going to divert him from it. He's not going to be loving one day and then be less loving the next day. He's not capricious in any way. He doesn't flip-flop on us. He's steadfast, and he's got this steadfast love. And the word for love there is the word hesed, loving kindness. It's love for the sake of the beloved, not for what you can do in return for him. Not for any love you're going to give back to him. He loves you just because of you. He just loves you. And that he's steadfast. And he's overflowing in that kind of love. This is who God is. This, is. this is our God. This is what the scriptures show us. The New Testament calls it agape love. There's four different Greek words in the New Testament for love. This is the agape love, which is the one that is just simply for the beloved's sake. There's nothing mutual about it. Of course, we do love God because he first loved us and he wants us to love him but he loves us anyway, regardless of what our response is going to be. So we see in this, this story of Jonah, we see God loving Jonah. We see him loving the, the sailors that were on that boat. We see him loving the 120,000 Ninevites and their cattle. I mean, God's love is that abundant and overflowing. He even loves their cattle. And so he's relenting from disaster. God always responds to real repentance. He always does. So in here, you know, again, working the situation, arranging the circumstances to expose the idol and help us make God number one in our lives. The word appointed is in this four times. Once in chapter one, he appointed a fish. And three times in chapter four, he appointed the, the plant to grow up. Then he appointed a worm to eat the plant. And then he appointed a harsh wind 
to blow and cause Jonah to go from being comfortable to uncomfortable. Now, here's an idol. I like to be comfortable. I don't want to be uncomfortable. And God says, I want to work on your character. And sometimes your comfort's in the way. He does that for Jonah. Plant comes up, shows Jonah how much he cares about comfort. Worm eats it, and now he's furious again. And then a harsh wind blows. That's a loving father helping Jonah learn what he needs to learn. That's not God being mean. That's God actually being tough. Tough love, the kind of love that requires that, that lesson. So Jonah now has a lesson. In contrasts, there's a lot of contrasts in here. So you pity this plant that you didn't grow, you didn't water it, I did it, and then it died. And should I not pity 120,000 people in Nineveh? He's trying to help Jonah see how inconsistent his heart is and how his idol is failing him. He's trying to win him over. God is arranging the circumstances for transformation so God will be number one in his heart. Now, what do we do with this? Well, first of all, I want to encourage you to check your reactions to the circumstances in your life. How are you responding to them? Are you emotionally aware? Do you find yourself um, being outraged about something, uh, responding um, by running away, by doing something that's harmful? Or it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't match up, you know? It's okay to be upset with things, but are you like way upset with them, like disproportionately? Pay attention to those things. And then look for God's hand in the circumstances and recognize that might be his wind that he's sending to scorch you a bit because he loves you. Rather than hate the thing, take it to God in prayer and talk to him and say, God, this thing is hurting me. It's uncomfortable. What's going on here? Help me. Have mercy on me. Take it to him. And then make him and his mission number one in your heart. Bring your life into alignment with him. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and all these other things will be added to you. He does give good gifts to his children, but he cares about your heart so much so that he will do whatever is necessary to win it. Now, I, I want to conclude this series by, um, by giving the last word, a good word about Jonah here. Um, I'm speculating now, so understand the difference between what it says in the scriptures and then what we can speculate about them. Um, someone told me after the first series that they still celebrate Jonah Day in that city to this day. It's like, 3,500 years later or whatever. There's still Jonah Day in Mosul, right across the river in what is Nineveh. They actually celebrate Jonah as a prophet and recognize him. Why would they do that? Because he stayed. You know, I'm going to, I don't know if you know, on, on Wired, which is our weekly email newsletter, um, we do a 300-word sermon summary in there and a link to the recording of the sermon if you want to follow up with it. This week, I'm also going to put a link to an article someone sent me from 2014 from the newspaper. And it was an article about how ISIS had gone in and destroyed the tomb of Jonah. This was just in 2014. Up until four years ago, there was a tomb. Jonah's bones were buried in Nineveh. How crazy is that? Do you know why that is? I speculate. It's because Jonah actually learned the lesson. Who do you think wrote this? No one would have known about this except Jonah. I think, I think, I, I'll let you know when I get there. I don't know for sure. I think Jonah wrote this and left it hanging like this, left it hanging on and many cattle, like because he wants us to learn a lesson that he learned. And so he served us by making himself look accurately bad. And then later stayed and served the Ninevites until he died and his bones were buried in their ground, instead of back in Israel with all his fathers where he really wanted it to be, because he learned to make God number one and God's mission number one, and then became revered in that city because he served them. They recognized both God and God's prophet. I think that's what happened. I'll let you know.
<laughs> Why don't we pray and uh, talk to the Lord about this situation? Lord, as, as we all know, our hearts are idol factories. We are constantly finding other things to worship besides you. I pray that you would be merciful to us, that you would show us quickly the error of our ways so it doesn't take as long to turn back to you. Lord, help us. Help us appreciate what it means to have you as number one and all the blessings that come with that. We love you, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.